On this week's Big Tech Show, you might not think it could happen to you, but our guest this week explains how a significant number of Irish people may be falling victim to romance frauds online. Victims can feel a misplaced sense of shame. People can blame themselves. They feel embarrassed. And so they don't want to tell family, friends. They don't want to report it to the police. In some cases, of course, the victims are already in relationships. They're married. They have an extra reason to keep that quiet. The Big Tech Show, available on all podcasts platforms. On the latest episode of Real Health with me, Carl Henry, I'm delighted to be joined by cardiologist Dr. Paddy Barrett, chatting all things cardiovascular disease. The way I look at this is that the the two statistics that everyone should really be aware of is cardiovascular disease is the leading cause of death globally and in most developed nations, but it's also the most preventable. 90% of it can be prevented at an early stage if you just follow the right steps and formula. So I look at it as a, a scary opportunity. As ever available on all podcast platforms. The world stage is set for COP26, a 12-day thinking of more than 120 world leaders and more than 25,000 delegates from 197 countries. Their mission should they choose to accept, and let's hope they do, to save the planet. Build as the last best chance to prevent runaway climate change, today the Indo Daily tells you all you need to know about COP26 and who better to help us but Environment and Climate Action Minister Eamon Ryan, who joins us to tell us about his hopes for COP and how he's reduced his own carpet footprint at home. You don't want to be a holy Joe in this. You don't want to be kind of pointing the finger at other people and, and kind of because that doesn't work. I'm Denise Callanan, and also joining me and preparing for her own trip to COP26 is Irish Independent Environment Correspondent Caroline O'Doherty on why this is the year we really need to knuckle down. If COP26 turns out to be blah, 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 there will be no point in hosting another global summit. This is our last chance. I don't want to give trillions and trillions of dollars. I don't want to lose millions and millions of jobs. I don't want to be put at a disadvantage. You'd have to show me the scientists because they have a very big political agenda, Leslie. I can't bring Look, them scientists in. Scientists also have a political agenda. Caroline O'Doherty, Environment Correspondent for the Irish Independent. This is the kind of doubtful talk we've been hearing from some world leaders recently. Now, most world leaders will be at a significant event this coming week in Glasgow, COP26, what exactly is it? Well, it's an acronym that immediately puts people off. So let's let's talk it through. COP stands for Conference of the Parties. Very simply, conference, big meeting. The parties, these are the countries that signed up years and years ago to what we call, here's another acronym, the UNFCCC, United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change. And that goes back 30 years. And it was essentially a convention Countries got together, the science was beginning to come clear, you know, that climate, global warming was happening, climate change was happening. And they, they got together, signed a convention that basically said they'll uh, agree to not allow dangerous human interference in climate. And over the years, that statement has got stronger, it's got more specific, it's, it's come with different targets. We've, we, we start to hear about what kind of temperatures we can't breach and what kind of targets in terms of our greenhouse gas emissions we can't emit if we're going to stick within those targets. So that's essentially, it's COP26, because very simply it's the 26th meeting of the parties of the countries. That sounds very simple when you put it like that, Caroline. Who exactly is going to be there? Who are the big players? 
Well, there's, a, there's a, a, over 192 countries are signed up to this. Um, we expect world leaders, as in prime ministers and Taoiseach and so on, um, from about 120, 130. Others will be sending envoys. Um, the big players um, are the countries who are the biggest carbon polluters, the biggest greenhouse gas emitters, if we we'll call them. Um, China, Russia, the United States, India are the top four. Uh, we are getting a big presence from the United States. We have to move quickly to meet these challenges. The steps our countries take between now and Glasgow will set the world up for success. We must get on the path now. We're probably not going to see Russia. Uh, China, uh, the leader Xi Jinping isn't going, but he is sending an envoy. Um, so that's that's almost as important because that's just the way they conduct business. Um, and India are certainly involved in a lot of talks. Um, whether we'll see their leader Modi or not, we're not quite sure. And China has made some changes recently, haven't they, with regards to their climate change policies? They have, you know, they're often considered the rogue state in that, you know, they're the biggest polluter and, you know, how can any other country do anything that matters, you know, if China keeps polluting. Okay, but what China have done is they've set quite ambitious targets given the scale of the country, given the amount of of manufacturing they do for the rest of the world. And given that people have to remember this, that per head of of population, Chinese people actually produce less uh, greenhouse gas emissions than Irish people do. Wow. So, and they have set targets and not as ambitious as, say, Ireland. They're looking at sort of net zero carbon and that's another terminology I know frightens people, but it means that they'll stop, you know, emitting greenhouse gases by 2060. That's later than a lot of other countries. But they do seem quite serious about it. And because they are a country that's prone to extreme weather, they are a country that's prone to a severe flooding. So they do know what's coming down their way as well. So, Caroline, we've we've been reading, we've seen COP26 in quite a lot of headlines lately. But why is there so much talk about it this year in particular? The pressure is on. Um, this was meant to take place last year and, and COVID completely scuppered that. And even then there was this sense of, you know, the, of heightened urgency. In, in 2015, there was what was called the Paris Agreement. Um, and that's when we really got a sense of, you know, uh, what kind of temperature ranges are going to be extremely dangerous and what we have to try and keep within. And countries were, were all put under the cosh to come up with what they call another acronym, the NDC, Nationally Determined Contribution That means what you as an individual country will do, how you will cut your greenhouse gas emissions. And then collectively, all those cuts were to be added together and we were to find a way to keep greenhouse gas emissions to within a level that the globe in in total can cope with. So last year, they were all meant to get together. They were given five years to get this underway, to show tangible results um, and let's have a sort of a stock take on it. It didn't happen last year. So now we're a year down the line. And in the meantime, we've had this really scary report from another acronym, the IPCCC, the International uh, uh, Panel, Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. And that's the scientific body. That's thousands of scientists from all around the world, from all participating countries, all putting their work together, being reviewed and peer reviewed and over reviewed and all the findings taken together. And what they have told us is that We are currently at about 1.1 degrees of warming prior to when we started manufacturing and driving, prior to sort of the major industrial development of the world. It doesn't sound like a lot, but that's, if you can imagine, all the temperature rise that it takes to heat up the entire world by 1.1 degrees, that's an awful lot of heat. So we're heading very rapidly to 1.5. 
They reckon that once we get 1.5, but past 1.5, the extreme weather that we're seeing now, you know, it's going to just escalate and escalate. They reckon if we hit two degrees, you know, it's not exactly game over, but it's game over and how much we can control. It's kind of run away then. That's then that we have to start thinking of there are parts of the world we just won't get back. They'll be uninhabitable. So we're going to have to have really massive adjustments in the way we do we do, we do, we do living. <laughs> you know, we do living and working and producing and food creation and all of that. The atmosphere and oceans are warmer, sea levels are rising, glaciers are melting and human beings are responsible. The world's top scientists have come together and the alarm bells should be deafening. That was our clearest warnings to date. So that's all happening, plus against the backdrop of a a really awful summer period there of the most extraordinary heat and fires and, and floods you know, it's it, you only have to just look at any region of the world and there's so much evidence there. And like we see on in headlines, Caroline, you know, the wildfires in Greece, the wildfires in California, the ice caps melting. But actually, there's examples closer to home as well. I think some people feel that climate change is something that happens off in the abyss somewhere. But we do have examples very close to our own doorstep of climate change in Ireland. The more extreme events are certainly happening far away from home and that can make it hard then to sort of connect that into in people's everyday lives in Ireland. But we have had some extraordinary examples. And last year in, in Leitrim that caused a landslide, uh, loads of peat running down a mountainside. It didn't get, again, sometimes these things don't get a huge amount of publicity because they're happening in more sort of sparsely populated areas. Um, but when they come to our cities, we're really going to notice it because our city infrastructures are not able to cope with it. So we're joined by Minister for Transport, Climate and Environment, Eamon Ryan. Thanks a million for joining us, Minister. You're set to travel to COP26 this week. If you were to hope for one thing for COP26 to achieve, what would it be? I think the main thing it needs to achieve is to keep the prospect of keeping global temperature increases below 1.5 degrees. That's what it's all about. It's it's keeping 1.5 alive. And that was agreed, that target was set in the Paris Climate Agreement over five years ago. And the meeting in Glasgow is really the time when the countries of the world come together to see, can we do it? Are we on track? What do, what do we need to do more of? How do we make it fair? Mm-hmm. And recently you've described some of Boris Johnson's comments as being colourful. And we have heard some almost flippant comments from world leaders. It's vital for all of us uh, uh, to show that this is not all about uh, some expensive, uh, politically correct uh, green act of of bunny-hugging. But are there any particular world leaders that have stood out to you, Minister, as having made a positive difference? Is there anyone that you're looking to on the world stage yourself? Senator John Kerry, um, he's the special US climate envoy. He was a former Secretary of State in the U.S. government during the Paris Climate Agreement. And I think he was first appointed one person who's had a really positive, influential role. He brought America and China together to help that agreement get off the ground. Um, I just think he's, he's probably one of the best politicians on climate in terms of he gets the scale of the change. He frames it in a way that people can understand. And and he doesn't, you know, he doesn't allow us to divide. It, it, he's forever looking to, okay, how can we pull people together? So mm-hmm. I think he's had a very positive role. I think the European Union as well, like our own union in in, in all its forms and all its flaws and all its kind of weaknesses, 
Europe has consistently led on climate and and engaged in a way to try and uh, you know for higher ambition and for higher um, and to try and do it itself. So now, listen, we're not perfect. We've 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 a lot more work to do. But I think the European Union has also had a really positive role in climate, and we should recognise that. Mm-hmm. And there's there's been a level of cynicism around these events. And I mean, we all look to Greta Thunberg and she's described recently that, you know, progress worldwide has been, and I quote, blah, blah, blah. Build back better, blah, blah, blah. Green economy, blah, blah, blah. Net zero by 2050, blah, blah, blah. Do you agree on that, Minister, or do you think that there is progress being made? No, she's right. And she's consistently been so articulate and so and what the what the real strength of what she says she she just sticks to the science ruthlessly and and kind of exposes where where we're not adhering to the science so i think she's right i think we are at a point we don't have room now we have to stop talking and we do have to start acting um the 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 i mean we've been involved in this for 30 years now and um, if we'd started 30 years ago with real action, it would have been so much easier. It would have been a kind of very gentle glide path to decarbonize. But now we don't have that luxury. We don't have that time. I think we can still do it. I think it'll still it'll lead to a better country for us and a better economy and a more secure world, not just because the climate will be more stable, but also the nature of the solutions bring, I think, real benefits. Like when you switch to renewable power, which is one of the main solutions, that that spreads wealth around the world much better way. When you when you change our transport system to be less car dominated, less kind of congested, less gridlocked, you get huge benefits from that. You get huge health benefits from people walking and cycling more. You get huge benefits, health benefits from people breathing in clean air. There's 1,300 people die every year from air pollution in a country, even before COVID. And and that's an example of where you get a benefit. And also, I think, in terms of addressing climate, what we also have a chance is to address the other two environmental crises we're facing, which is the loss of biodiversity. We've lost half of all natural wildlife in the last four decades. It's just incredible. It's hard to believe, but that's by, 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 by biomass weight is what's happened. And addressing climate change has a chance not just to address the climate crisis, but also the biodiversity and the pollution crisis, like our, our, our water pollution and air pollution, as I said. So, so I think it's, um, she's right, it's time for action. And while we're late, it's never too late. And the benefits it'll bring in, in a variety of other ways mean I think we can and will do this. Mm-hmm. And Minister, what would your own carbon footprint be like? You know, we know you're an avid cyclist, but could you maybe tell us some of the changes you've made in your own day-to-day life? Um, first, you, you don't want to be a holy Joe in this. You don't want to be kind of pointing the finger at other people and, and kind of because that doesn't work. But in my own life, I do think, I, I mean, there's a number of changes. First, most important, significant change we we're able, lucky to be able to do is we have a well-insulated house. Our house is, is um, I think it's an A3 now. It's, it's really well-insulated home. And the benefit of that is beyond compare. We don't burn fossil fuels at home. We, we, um, we use a heat pump. So that's these new, really clever uh, pieces of engineering. They're like a 
reverse fridge, they take the temperature difference between the outside and the inside, and they use uh, that difference in a heat pump, to in a heat exchanger, to extract it and then use that to hot, heat the water. Not only provides hot water for the house, but also warms the radiators. So at home, we've, we've stopped burning anything. Um, and I thought I'd missed the fire, but actually I prefer having just a cozier home and not <laughs> yeah. the kind of air pollution. So that really... That does work. It does work. I still drive, um, you know, like as like most everyone. We kind of, um, I mean, I do cycle most days, every day, but occasionally you need to have a car. We did switch recently to an electric car at home, and and I won't be switching back because they are better vehicles. They're kind of nicer to drive. They're, um, they're a fraction of the cost to run, both in maintenance or in fuel. So I think, again, on that, it's pretty much, well, there's certain amounts of the electricity is still coming from fossil fuels. But as we meet our targets of going to really high percentage of renewables, that will also see us, and particularly because if you charge the car in the middle of the night, when the wind is blowing, but there's no other demand for it. I mean, I listen, I'm no, I'm no saint, as I said, mm-hmm. in a whole range of other different ways. I fly, and because I, uh, like a lot of people, I have to do it for work, but also, uh, so so there I, I still have a lot of carbon miles. Um, and in my own diet, I could probably, for my own health, be, I need to be changing it. But but when I look at it in the round, I think I do have my finger, my own personal carbon footprint down quite low. And it's not at a loss of any quality of life. It's it's kind of, um, it's more comfortable, it's healthier, and it's it's just as easy as what I used to do before. And if there was something um, to do, I mean, one simple change that could even be done overnight, Minister, for people in Ireland, would you have any suggestion as to what they could do to just be that little bit more green? I think, well, maybe because I come from this, I started off as a campaigner for cycling and for walking and I do think even just one trip a week, switch it. Maybe, you know, and it's kind of so it's so difficult to think, oh God, you know, it's wet today, so I won't do it, or I'm tired, or I won't do it. But maybe just one week, one trip a week, start with that mm-hmm. in terms of switching to a walk and a cycle. And I think actually what will surprise people is you feel better after it. It gives you exercise without, you know, having to go to the gym. It's um it doesn't cost anything. And it's it kind of it's it's good for the head a bit of exercise um doctors are always saying to me the first thing you know that's the first thing you should do for everything for your mental health for your physical health as well as for the planetary health so i think yeah one trip a week switch to walking and cycling and see how it goes and you said recently um at the environment committee that you wouldn't be you don't think that we'd be able to call ourselves an ireland leaders quite yet on the international stage but you said that we're well positioned to start showing real leadership. How far away from that do you think we are? I think we're really getting there. I, I think we are starting to show leadership. I think um, the Taoiseach's going to COP on Monday and Tuesday next week. I, I think we'll be able to go with a, um, a real contribution um, in how we provide climate finance for countries that are less well off, in how we are switching to renewables. We're one of the leading countries in terms of integrating renewable power. Um, We have divested from fossil fuels. We've stopped oil and gas exploration of new licenses of that. Uh, And I could go on. I think we're, and we have a good climate plan now, and we have the funding for it in the National Development Plan. So listen, what you don't want to do is, 
you have to admit, like you know, we're we're, we're no angels, as I said earlier on, but we're getting better. Mm-hmm. And and I think we as a country are perfectly well placed to show real leadership now and to benefit from that in in a whole variety of ways. First and foremost, in our own health and our own wealth mm-hmm. and welfare and, and well being. Just finally, Minister, if you were to bump into Greta now this week, what do you think you'd talk about? Um. I've been listening to her first, so I find it very compelling the way she speaks. I saw her in Madrid at a, at a COP I was at three years ago. What I heard her say there I inspired me in many ways. It, it was still a recognition that democratic politics is, is going to be the key and the vehicle in which we achieve the change. She, she stood up for democratic approach, and I thought, and, in, and what I saw on that Fridays for Future and the climate strikes and others, they don't. They're doing it in a way that pulls people together rather than putting people down. Or, and I think, and it's while it's a very scary situation, all the young people are really frightened, understandably on the climate side. Um, I think there is that message of hope that comes from that those students as well. That another world is possible. That we are unstoppable in delivering that is in my mind what's what's been really important and really interesting. And I'd be interested to hear what she says about what comes next that way. Mm-hmm. And I think really just to note that this is the cop that matters, really, Minister. You know, there's been a lot of pressure on world leaders for it and there's no harm, no harm in that either. Yeah, we don't have time to 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 delay. We don't have time for another five years where we wait for some you know kind of ratcheting up of ambition. We do have to do it now. This decade is the one that matters. And it's not that, you know, everything revolves around Glasgow. There we we have another cop the next year in, in Egypt. Uh, and, and there's still a lot of work to do, even if Glasgow's a success, there'll be more work to, to kind of to make it more transparent, make it more ambitious, make it more just. Um, so I, I, um, but but we can't delay. We can't have the sort of five and 10 years and two decade delays that we've seen in the last 20 or 30 years. It is it is time to turn all these meetings into real action and to real real reductions in emissions. And I think. Um, Uh, I think it's important to come out of Glasgow with that sense of it happening. Even if we didn't cause it, we would have a moral responsibility to do something about Caroline, do you think people power is having an effect? We've had people like Greta Thunberg now, um, you know, come out into the forefront in recent years. And I guess as well, it's giving people the confidence to call these world leaders out. I mean, we had Greta Thunberg and Donald Trump with their Twitter spat last year and Greta making the point to the world on her Twitter feed that actually Donald Trump was spoofing. Yes, the more simple it's made, the more people have confidence to speak about it and to, to question it. Because when it's a scientific issue, when it's a high level policy issue, when it's an international national dialogue issue most people feel oh, I'm not I'm not up to speed I can't really get involved in this debate but when it's simple yeah, people can say yes I can talk about this because I'm worried about my job about my land about my farm about the future of my workplace about my children and that's the big thing about my children about my grandchildren are they really going to struggle to just do daily things because we've neglected the, the science that's been telling us we must act for 30 years Caroline the important question what happens now if COP26 fails? We have to take an entirely different look at how we go about approaching the future. Um, Adaptation is a word, a nice word, um, that is on the agenda at COP. And it is about accepting that climate change is here, 
that the impact can't be prevented. It's going to be very costly. We're going to have to raise roads. Um, Irish Rail were talking during the week about how they're raising, um, they've already raised one of their rail tracks uh, by almost a metre over the last few years um, um, in Munster. And, you know, they're still getting flooding. So all that's terribly costly. That's taxpayers' money. So we're going to have to get used to paying. We're going to have to get used to so many of our older buildings, the gutters and drains, our heritage buildings can't cope with heavy rainfall. So are we going to either abandon those and say, sorry, we can't afford to to look after them, or are we going to put lots of money into them? But it is going to cost us, the taxpayer, an awful lot to adapt to a world that we have allowed to warm out of control. I'm Denise Callanan and you've been listening to the Indo Daily. Today's episode was produced by Siobhan Maguire, researched by Tabitha Monaghan with sound by Gavin Hennessy. Archive clips were courtesy of independent.ie, the Belfast Telegraph, RTE, Sky News and the BBC. You can listen to the Indo Daily wherever you get your podcasts.